We're continuing our series on the book of Mark called Move Over, Making Way for Jesus. And today I've titled this message, RDS, Religion Depression Syndrome. That is a real disease as of Thursday at four o'clock in the afternoon. That's when I came up with that idea. But I feel like a lot of us are suffering from RDS, and today we're going to study someone in Scripture in the book of Mark who was a victim of RDS. And the Scripture is found in Mark chapter 10, 17 through 27. So let me read this passage to you. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and your father. And the man said to him, teacher, I've done all these things. I've kept them from my youth. I got this down. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, and the word also means pitied him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give it all to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, before I get started, a few of you told me last week, like three or four of you, that the last couple of messages about kingdom resources and about the elephant in the room about giving up your life to lose it, made some of you feel guilty. And that really troubled me as, as a shepherd and as a pastor because it occurred to me that if you went away the last couple of weeks discouraged because the message was, it was heavy, it wasn't easy, then it really started sounding like today's character, doesn't it? And how he left the presence of Jesus. And we should never leave the presence of Jesus feeling that way. So we're going to come up with why sometimes after we have an interaction with Jesus or his word that we leave with RDS, religion depression syndrome. So as you guys know, what we like to do is we like to go through the three applications of scripture, the historical, theological, and devotional. History is what about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? The theological is what about God? What did God do and why did God do it? And then the devotional, well, what about me? What am I supposed to do and why do I do it? So history, let's go at the symptoms of RDS. <clears throat> First of all, you have a rich young man He's rich, he's educated, he's influential, and he wanted to know peace so badly that he was willing to kneel humbly before who was in his mind at that time just another really good rabbi. He really wanted to know, so he was sincere. He wasn't like totally dishonest and saying, I'm going to go ask this guy a question so I can look good. He really was sincere, and so he doesn't know who Jesus is. He thinks he's just a really smart rabbi that everybody likes. So he goes to this rabbi, Jesus, and kneels down and says, what must I do? Another symptom he had is he was comfortable in his money. This man had a lot of peace and safety 
in his possessions. He is also confident in his religious status. And you guys know I hammer this week in and week out that religion is meaningless. But he was very confident and comfortable in his religious status. Jesus, I've kept all those commands since I was a kid. And here's the other symptom. He had hope that his acquisition of more knowledge, his acquisition of more understanding would be what would give him the final puzzle in peace. He felt like that if he could just get a little bit more information from this really cool rabbi, then he will reach the place in his life where he has peace and comfort. And then another symptom is he asks a very arrogant question. He says, I am well on my way. I'm doing really good with all this stuff, but just in case, what else do I have to do to be saved for all eternity? It's an arrogant question because what he is communicating is that it is up to him to make sure that he has peace for all eternity. <clears throat> a sincere man with all these symptoms, thinking he's well on his way, but just needs one more piece of the puzzle. Now let's look at the theological part of this. This is the diagnosis of RDS. Then Jesus, the great physician, asks a diagnostic question. The first question he asks is, why are you calling me good? You think you know what good is? You are so knowledgeable about what is good that you can declare that I am good? Clearly you do, since you are asking what you have to do. So not only have you declared me good, You've declared yourself able to become good. Don't you know there's nobody good but God? No one is good. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 3.10, it says that. There is none righteous, no, not one. Therefore, you cannot rely, rich young ruler, on your opinion of goodness, whether it's your opinion of me or your opinion of you, let alone rely upon your own accomplished goodness that you've had so far. You think that you've done pretty good so far, but I'm about to reveal to you through a diagnostic process that you have not done very well. So then he evaluates his true condition. Well, let's go through some of it, shall we, rich young ruler? And Jesus lists the second half of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and your father. Check, got that one, Jesus. Thou shalt not murder. Never killed anyone. Okay. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I've been pure. Thou shalt not steal. I don't steal. I got plenty of money. Why would I steal? Thou shalt not lie or bear false witnesses against your neighbor. I would never do such a thing. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. My house is three times bigger. Why would I covet it? I've got all those, Jesus. I'm down with that. I'm really good at that part. What else? What you see here is a flawed self-diagnosis. Because of a flawed self-assessment, the young man is relieved, confident he had kept all the commandments since he was young. See, he believed himself to be a law keeper, able to achieve eternal life on his own merits. He believed the only thing keeping him from eternal life was more knowledge, not more desperation. He believed the only thing keeping him to be eternally connected to Jesus was more knowledge, not more desperation. 
This is what religious performance does for us. It lulls us into a false sense of security, but it's not real. It's fake. See, the man assumes he is already successful, and he's clueless. Can you imagine what Jesus is thinking? Jesus is probably thinking, LOL, such a cute kid. This cute little rich young ruler, he thinks he's good, and he thinks all he has to do is one more thing. But Jesus lays out for him an impossible scenario. He reveals that even as the man thought he was good on the whole law, he had actually failed the very first law. He has other gods before God himself. How? He idolized his own wealth. He idolized his own religion. He idolized his own abilities. So Jesus says, tell you what, you've done good on the other nine. Just go back to the first one and make sure you're squared away on law number one. Sell everything you have. Die to yourself. Give everything you got to the poor. And follow me. By the way, that was also Jesus claiming to be God. The standard of goodness from earlier. So in other words, what you must do, rich young ruler, you must cease from violating the very first commandment. You must put away your God of wealth, your God of influence, your God of performance that you have been worshiping instead of me, and you must follow Messiah. The problem is it's impossible through human effort. And this is a crushing prognosis for the young man because he is unable and or unwilling to do either one of them. The reason he felt guilty, the reason he felt discouraged, the reason he felt defeated and depressed was because he could not even perform the first law of Moses. Even though he recognized Jesus as an authority in his life, and this is important, guys. This is where some of us are. You recognize Jesus as some sort of authority in your life. He wasn't in a true state of total spiritual depression or desperation. And that desperation is what's necessary for true peace with God. And the rich young man left this interaction with Jesus defeated and discouraged. Why? Because once he left Jesus, he knew he would never be able to measure up. So what's the devotional part of this? You aren't the cure. See, when you leave an interaction with Jesus and you feel depressed about where you are, that's you saying, man, I'm not good enough. I got to do better. Can you imagine going to the doctor and trying to convince the doctor that you didn't need his help to get better? Doctor, I recognize you're an authority in my life when it comes to medicine. And I can really treat myself. All you need to do is give me one more piece of information. Where do I put the shot? In my butt? Well, that'd be kind of hard, but I'll try. Somehow, you feel like you're close to the same level as the doctor. You just need a little helping hand. One small piece of knowledge 
sort of like you're a peer to the doctor. That's what the rich young ruler was doing. He set himself up as a peer with the rabbi. Often we try to be a peer with Jesus instead of relying on him totally. And that's what we do when we take the burden of eternal life and godliness and heap it on our own shoulders. Soon after, what happens is inevitably we will become overwhelmed with guilt, discouragement, frustration, because it becomes very clear that we will never, ever, ever measure up. So you aren't the cure. You aren't the doctor. Don't act like one. And the cure comes from outside of you, not inside of you. The cure for your depression, the cure for your guilt, is not come from you trying harder, doing better, practicing more. The point was never that we could be good enough or that we could ever give enough to earn favor with God. Jesus is teaching us in this passage to give up on trying to be good and admit, this is important, doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, but you are to admit that the only good that will ever be in you is because of the good that Jesus brings to you. The good that he puts in you by his effort, not yours. Through the implanted, by the way, the passively implanted word of God. It's in James chapter 1. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with brokenness or meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. Implanted is passive. doesn't mean that we go take the seed and we put it in us. What the scripture is teaching us there is God takes the seed of God's word and puts it in you and makes you righteous and saves your souls. And because of that, because you see this implantation, this passive implantation of the word of God in you, it makes the cure miraculous. Jesus even says, it's impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. See, the standard that the young man, the standard that we want to embrace is impossible. But the cure of the passively implanted goodness that comes from Jesus is miraculous. It transforms us from being able to do nothing that measures up. This is important. And it turns us into people that could not measure up before that are now willing to give up our entire lives to follow Jesus. Now, can you imagine how different that exchange would have been if the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, I am terrible at keeping the law. I can't even keep the first one. I love my money. I fail constantly. I feel guilty about how bad I am at religion. I feel hopeless. I feel helpless. 
I feel like there's nothing that I could ever do to inherit eternal life. Rabbi, Rabbi, can you please help me? What do you think Jesus would have said to him then? Do you think this exchange would have ended differently? Do you think the rich young ruler would have left this meeting with Jesus sad? Or do you think he would have left joyful? What path do you want to take? The one that results in RDS? Or the one that results in relief, peace, hope, and a miraculous, intimate connection with Heavenly Dad? You see, we will never leave an interaction with Jesus depressed if we come in desperation as opposed to arrogance. You see the difference? If we come to an interaction with Jesus with a heart of desperation, not a heart of, I just need a little more information, and then I'll take it from there. Jesus, thanks. If we come to Jesus saying, I can't even get started, you'll never leave an interaction with him with RDS. So my question for you is this. How will you leave church today? How are you going to leave today? Are you going to leave feeling guilty and depressed because you can't measure up? Or are you going to leave with joy and peace, accepting the fact that you can't measure up, but knowing through a miraculous cure, through the implanted word of God, that Jesus does. You see, if we ever leave an interaction with Jesus feeling guilty, then we came in without desperation. When you approach Jesus, it should be, Jesus, I desperately need you. I can't even know how to get started to measure up. The only way that I'm going to get connected is if you do it for me. But here's the great thing. If you do come that way, the miracle has already taken place. The implanted word has made you desperate. And there's no reason to leave with religion, depression syndrome.